With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. What's going on, man? Hey, D. Oh, man. Oof. How are things out in Berea? I mean, it's beautiful. Um... Aesthetic-wise, but, you know, it took <laughs> all my power. I'm going to say this on the <laughs> podcast, too. It took all my power walking around there and I had to scream, this team still fucking sucks. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> it was only the first day or second day or whatever it was. No, it was the first day. It doesn't matter. Right. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That, that team sucks. You know what I'm saying? It's just the way it is. I mean. Uh, damn it, I was starting to get hopeful for a minute. I was reading, like, fantasy articles and shit like that, talking about Isaiah Crowell. And... <laughs> yeah. People, I mean, I, I'm just going to give it a real joke. Uh, you can't delude yourself into thinking that these Browns are going to be anything this season. If you, if you, I hear people calling up on the radio talking about this and that. I mean, you are just, you know, living in a defunct reality. I know we want them to be good. You know, nobody wants them to be good more than me, but. It's just not the case, and it won't be the case. Um, and it's not any – I mean, it's, they're trying. I'd say that. Um, and that's the one thing I've seen out there. They're making efforts, but it's just not enough, you know. It's just not enough. So Free Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon even couldn't say this team, but he would help. I mean, that's a big help. That's one of my big things. So. Um, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, let's get into it. i got to figure out what this is. Yeah, I'm ready. Um, do the college football one after this? I mean, that's pretty real quick. It's not like the preview. It's just kind of talking about some of the stuff that's happened. You know what I mean? Sure. What are we talking about first? Uh, this is the same stuff I sent you before, kind of going through, like, each conference, like, ACC thinks they're better than everybody, you know. Um, think that they're telling everybody they're the best conference, you know. Uh, Mark Rick making some noise down there besides knowing sandwiches with Miami and their recruiting and everything. Um, you can look out west to the Pac-10, Pac-10, Pac-12, you know, USC is being favored as a preseason, you know. Um, is Washington still the team to beat? And is Rich Rod days numbered? <laughs> I heard this one guy call up to a, a national radio show going in on Rich Rod talking about the guys three and nine. Yeah, stay like. Um but more 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 importantly, the Big Twelve, you know, uh talk about did we see Bob Stoops, we really didn't weigh in on that retiring and what that means, you know, for that conference. Um, is he gone this year or is this yeah. his last year? No, he, it was retirement effective immediately. Jeez. So who's the head coach now? Lincoln Riley, the offensive okay. coordinator. 
Um, so that's what I'm saying, like that. Um, and of course, the old Miss drama. Um, you know what? 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 The one team that could have beat the one team that is beating Alabama, um, you know, is now or it looks like it's on its way to the death penalty now, unless Les Miles saves it. And uh, Ohio State being favored to win the Big Ten, the Spielman lawsuit, um, and just you know the excitement you know around Ohio State football kind of finish it up with that. So. Okay. I don't think it's nothing you can't handle. It's all the just it's all the no. old news, the stuff that's happened. You know what I mean? Just trying yeah, to yeah, yeah. just about it. And this PJ Fleck guy when we talk Big Ten, this PJ Fleck guy, you, you might not know this one. You know he's getting a TV show on ESPN. What? As ESPNU. the head coach of Minnesota? Yeah, ESPNU. They're doing a little reality. I think it's just a little summer reality series or something. Oh, okay. Like follow Minnesota around. All right. Well, that's yeah. right. We've seen that done. Yeah, so, but I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, and, and, of course, Mike Gundy's mullet. You know. <laughs> I've, been, I've been loving all year being able to say I'm a man of 40. <laughs> Only time in my life for an entire three or sixty days, three or sixty-five days. Um. All right, let's get started. All right. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with DN Jake. Show one seventy-six. Uh, so close you can taste it, and uh, I think you know what we're talking about, folks. That's football. I am D. Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to see bus. Let's talk pigs again. Yeah, Jake, uh, I mean, the excitement is palpable. You know, I uh, got out of my cushy lair and actually headed to Berea to check out the Browns training camp. We know we're going to talk about that, but uh, we got a lot of news going on with uh, one Kyrie Irving, the Cavs point guard, who uh, even the Cavs won't confirm that he's requested a trade, but everybody else is, you know, saying that and everything in between. We're going to talk about that. Uh, Talk about these Cleveland Indians, man. Probably the best story going right now. Um, their streak, uh, nine straight, and how that differs from what we thought would happen <laughs> a little bit, but we're happy about it. Um, and then, of course, get into oh, get into your Cleveland Browns. Um, those observations that I have from training camp and the optimism, the optimism around this upcoming season. Uh, very excited for football, Jake. Um, like I said, it got out there a little bit, but uh, we got to start with this Kyrie Irving news, man. Um, have you changed at all your feeling after seeing the press conference with now new GM Kobe Altman and uh, Dan Gilbert's words about kind of talking about all the situations that happened, whether it was Chauncey Billups, all that stuff? What were some of your takeaways from the, the Cavs presser that was supposed to, hopefully, I think they were, thought they were instilling confidence in the fans? Well, I think – maybe my main takeaway is that they're not in a big hurry to move this guy. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Um, you know, it, we, he's kind of dropped off the face of the earth. And then this morning I opened up a bleacher report notice and he's dancing with Steph Curry and Curry's mocking what appears to be LeBron James throwing punches towards Kyrie. So it, it almost feels like he's, he's reserved as far as Kyrie to not being here anymore. And, uh, burning the fields on his way out possibly as well. Um, you know, my feeling still kind of the same. You got to get value for him or I say, you know, you got to come back. 
I mean, he's under contract. So let's. I mean, I, I know that he's out there and he doesn't want to play here anymore, but, you know, when you get on the basketball court, you can make it work. You, there's been lots of teams that they've got players and even stars that don't like each other. Um, I, I just feel like you can't trade this guy and not get the market value that he's worth. Um, and that's going to be tough to do right now. So, I, I mean, in my mind, I think you got to, you got to play this out and uh, and see what happens unless you can get the trade you want. Or, I mean, if it's a demand on both ends where you got Kyrie saying, I'm not coming, and LeBron saying, I don't want to play with them, then maybe you are a little bit hamstrung and you got to take the best deal. But it'd be a shame to lose Kyrie and, you know, one of the top, top 10, 15 players in this league and not get back someone that can help us immediately with the situation we're in trying to, uh, when now? Yeah, well, my my biggest uh, thing right now with this whole situation, I'm at the point now with it that uh, kind of the same point I was last week. Um, I just want Kyrie out of here. I, it's not about him, you know, what he does on the basketball court, but it's the judgment that he's showing off the basketball court right now that, you know, is rubbing me the wrong way. I think that judgment will then spill on to the basketball court Um Nobody wants to see, you know, an unmotivated unmotivated player in any situation trying to play a team sport. It's just, you know, a bad fit. I know Ty Lue might have the leadership to force their way through it and, you know, whatever will come will come. But um, And it's not even about the contract. I think it's in the Cavs' best interest to get this guy out of here and, you know, try to, you know, garner assets that they desperately need with that trade. I don't think they will get value. I don't think you can get value, you know, on what Kyrie's upside will be because he has that greatness, you know. Um, he just has greatness that he can still tap into beyond what we've already seen in that delivery Cleveland championship. So uh, it's, it's not about value to me. It's just about getting him out of here. And like I said on the previous podcast, giving the Cavs more options. You know, moving his contract, moving him, you know, creates an opportunity to garner resources, um, whether it's the Suns. Um, I don't, you know, like the the Miami deal has kind of, you know, been put on the table. But I forgot the Suns actually have Miami's draft pick from doing the Dragic trade from a long time ago. So the trade with the, the Miami Heat really doesn't make any sense besides personnel, which I kind of heard Whiteside being rumored as part of the deal now. But um, it's about getting draft picks and it's about getting players that can help the Cavs win immediately. And I think that's the biggest thing um, that the Cavs need to do. And I think this is the watershed moment a la back in David Griffin's time when he took over executing that Kevin Love trade, you know, by trading Wiggins and what he was able to do with that. You know, it put the Cavs on a very quick, uh, a very quick pathway to a championship. And it happened within two years. Well, this one even needs to be more accelerated, and this is Kobe Altman's watershed moment of getting Kyrie out of here and getting something back that can put Cavs, put the Cavs back into the NBA Finals, which we all feel like is a a very good possibility, regardless if Kyrie's here or not. But still, um, making it like to me, this still is always going to be about making it just a little bit easier for LeBron James, and I don't think you make it easier for LeBron James by keeping a, a disgruntled Kyrie Irving here. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. You know, I mean, we know LeBron already doesn't like Dan, and if Dan's forcing them together and LeBron can walk next year, um, you know, maybe you are better off uh, serving LeBron James and what he wants 
to have a shot of keeping him long-term. And we know he's out in Las Vegas playing with Eric Bledsoe um, and at Damon Jones's camp. Uh, we've heard rumors of uh, DeAndre Jordan and Patrick Beverly from the Clippers. Um, you talked about the Miami trade. Um, so I, I still feel like as of right now, they're going to get a star player back in the deal. So I don't know, maybe, maybe now is the time to strike on that and you're going to get the best value you can get for them rather than as the season goes on and you get to it, um, as teams get said and what they want to do. And this, this situation becomes maybe more toxic and the Cavs have even less leverage. So. Um, I, it, it's such a tough call right now. And, you know, I think you're moving me towards, um, the fact that, you know, it's just, it's, it's over. Yeah. I don't think, well, to me, you know, I don't think it's tough. I think you just got to get this guy out of here. I really never, um, am big on acquiescing and I understand he's under contract and all that stuff, but, um, I had a conversation with some people and, you know, what's the last NBA trade or when's the last time an NBA player forced a trade and it actually worked out. I mean, you, you know, you think back in the history, I mean, the last one might've been, um, you know, what, what do we think of James Harden? No, James Harden was a free agent. Was he? Okay. I thought they traded him. Mm -hmm. He was a free agent. They didn't Hmm. sign. He went and signed with Houston. If I'm correct, thinking that, um, this went back a ways. They might have traded him after the point, but James Harden was going into this free agency. I think that might have been it. They just traded him at the end. I don't know. But nonetheless, I mean, like, it just – there's been a lot of guys that have wanted to get out of situations more often than the NBA. Coaches have gotten fired. We know that won't be the situation here. Um, I just – I don't see how – that's why I say it speaks to the judgment. Even a Kyrie Irving – if he would have waited a year, made this feeling known earlier, it seems like a snap reaction. And, you know, it's just I don't see how it works out well for Kyrie, um, regardless of how many teams he says he wants to play to. Um, one other thing, you know, we talk about the Suns, Eric Bledsoe. Um, Eric Bledsoe is coming off of uh, his third knee surgery. So um, I don't think you need a superstar. I think you need complementary pieces around LeBron coupled with the assets that you can get with the first round pick that can be traded for somebody else later. Or, you know what I mean? Still, it's still about those other moves that you can make. That's more important to me that gives the cap and maybe getting, you know, uh, a Mon Shumpert contract off of the Cavs is books. So it just, you know, it, it's all about alleviating options. I think that's why it's so important to get it done now so that the Cavs have the time during the season. It's not like we wait to the trade deadline and do it, and then the Cavs don't have the options to do another move after that. So I think it's important for Kobe Altman and the front office to do that. Also, too, I want to get it done selfishly just so I can focus 100% on Ohio State football. So that's just me, you know. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, let me ask you this. If if Dan Gilbert ponies up for Griff, are we in this situation? Dan said it wasn't about the money. I think it really was about philosophy. I don't know. Maybe 
I just can't even go back and that that's something we're going to have to let take over time as we get more information to come out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the, uh, my snap my snap answer is no, hell no. You know what I mean? But right. That's why the, I, I need to know it. more about what it was that they couldn't come to terms. I will tell you this. I think Griff had a conversation with Kyrie and maybe he was the one that talked about, you know, the possibility of him being traded years past and things like that, maybe on his way out um, or with Kyrie's agent and whatnot. Um, so, uh, but like Kyrie's behavior right now is just not leading, you know, it, it's just, I don't, I don't, you know, it's not worth forcing LeBron to have a, a tumultuous relationship with somebody in the locker room day in and day out. You know, my thing is like, we got one asset that we need to worry about. I don't, you know, like Kyrie's not an asset anymore, as far as I'm concerned, beyond getting something back, you know. So LeBron James is the asset that we need to worry about retaining. And it's not about keeping him happy. It's about the goal that he wants, putting together uh, a formidable team that can test against everybody in the Eastern Conference and then also against the Warriors. So that's the goal that I think the Cavs should be looking towards now, you know. So that's just, you yeah. know, the way that I see it. And then, like I said before on the other podcast, it's just about moving forward. You just got to keep moving forward. This all started back when Kyrie said the earth was flat. I think that's where this starts from. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's one thing. You know, all these teams like Golden State and even us uh, going back to as much as, well, last year or until we trade Kyrie, it's always been about this big three, right? What if the Cavs were the ones that went about it a little bit different and instead of a big three went about it with LeBron James and an all-star four? You know what I mean? Not not a big three where you got three dominating superstars – but kind of what you're talking about, maybe a little bit more balanced throughout the throughout the rotation, and you know, just kind of going back to that old school where you do have that dominant one player, and then you've got some guys around them. Well, that's what's intriguing when you mentioned the Clippers scenario. I, I don't know if I go to that level, but what I think about, or the way I would envision and changing the Cavs, and I think that could work right now, is um, I just want a defensive team. Give me a team that can lock down in possessions when it gets to crunch time. We know LeBron James can distribute the ball, and even the Cavs as a team with or without Kyrie have gotten good where they can have spurts where they can move the ball and get everybody touches and get everybody in the flow. Um, So give me the best defensive team that we can build. You put Pat Beverly and DeAndre Jordan out there, we can figure out DeAndre Jordan's free throw shooting and work around that. You know what I mean? Because they'll be so good – on certain defensive possessions and for certain, you know, uh, uh, stretches that they can really impose their will no matter who they're playing, you know. So I think that would be something that would be intriguing to me. And even if it's not, you know, Patrick Beverly and DeAndre Jordan, but trying to find a team within that mold because um, if those guys – if you get a guy playing better defense at that one position and then you get some type of rim protector, that becomes a whole different animal and – you know, the turnovers lead to points. So you then have the Cavs out and running, so they're still playing fast that we're accustomed to. And I kind of think that's what we're seeing. Even the signing of Derrick Rose, and say what you want, he's still a pretty good defender uh, on the ball and in scheme. Um, you know, if you think about it, maybe midseason when you're talking buyouts, do you bring in a Dwayne Wade who also, again, is a pretty damn good defender still for his age? Um, I, I kind of like that idea, and I think that's what we're seeing with some of the floated trade rumors. You know, we hear from Minnesota about maybe bringing Wiggins in. 
Um, and I don't know, I'm sure you're not going to be in love with that trade, but for what it's worth, Wiggins is a hell of a good wing defender and would be a perfect counter to Golden State. Um, so I think that that is something that they may be looking towards. I mean, he's capable. He has not proven that he is a, a great defender. I mean, that's been, you know, debunked out here. But, I mean, I'm all for anything that gets Kyrie out of here. So I wouldn't even scoff at that as much as I don't care for Wiggins. Wow. Um, um, that, yeah, I, 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 that I am really I big about getting – you have to get Kyrie Irving out of Cleveland and out this franchise. Because I'm going to tell you like this, you think about what's happened over the last season just with LeBron James and thinking about when him, when he came back and the vitriol that we saw for him. And that was a guy that people actually loved at one point. People love Kyrie too, but that that's a guy who literally had a bad game against Boston, and there was a guy in the Patron Lounge, you know, heckling him. So what do you think they're going to do to Kyrie Irving if he has to play on this team every night? I just think it's so important, you know, like um, – I just don't want uh, – uh, as much as people try to say the Cavs are defunct and whatnot, when the good times are rolling here, the good times are rolling. And there's been more good times over the last three years than it's been bad, So, which also makes you scratch your head why this guy wants out. But that's not what I'm concerned with anymore. It's just about moving the Cavs forward, and that's why I think you guys – so, like, yeah, any anything that gets you back capable players, and that's why I say Wiggins would be capable. Um, I don't know what you got. And even with Derrick Rose, you worry about his health. You don't know what – you know he's capable, but you just worry about the health concerns, you know. And I mentioned the same thing with Eric Bledsoe. You, you worry about that with also with Kyrie. But anything that gets you back capable players that can help us get to that goal of just being a better basketball team, I mean, um, or being, you know, comparable in a different, you know, like we're talking about defensively or like you said with four all-stars, anything that pushes you to that realm I think is important for the Cavs to move forward. And Kobe Altman, I mean, I don't – you know, Dan said that the Pacers – could have did better, have a little shot at them. I think Gilbert needs to be worried about his own franchise right now. These guys sat up there during that press conference and were kind of a little uh, like they were in a different reality saying that the whole thing has been overblown. It might have a lot of media push to it, but the situation's not good. When you've got a player that is trying to get out of uh, a contract that he signed and doesn't want to play with LeBron James, that's not a good situation. There's no overblowing it. Yeah, and, you know, the – the worst part about it is that the guy who hit the shot to bring Cleveland its first championship in uh, however many years it was, um, he's going to go out as a villain, you know, and, and that to me, uh, you know, it, it, here we are in Cleveland. <laughs> I don't know if he goes out a villain. I mean, maybe in the short term, I think everything changes over time. Um, and just because we'll, we'll, I mean, depending on what happens, I mean, if LeBron leaves and everything else, I mean, Kyrie makes them me a couple later on years down the road. Um, I mean, you, who knows, you know, like, you know, people will remember that and always, you know, have a, a soft spot for him. So, you know, it, it'll be one, I mean, think about what happened with LeBron. So anything can happen. Um, I will say one more thing. I, I, I do not want the Cavs trading with the Knicks. Um, we talk about, you know, I'm all about getting Kyrie out of here, but you're not trading for Carmelo Anthony. I, I just, I don't want their young draft pick. I don't, you know, like uh, Frank Nitty is what I call him, you know, the French guy. That's just terrible. That's just a terrible idea. And you're actually, I read an article and it was like, you know, it would be one of the first trades where both teams get worse in the trade, which is hard to do. You know what I mean? So, uh, I just think that's a bad idea, but, um, 
definitely. I mean, like, here's the thing: the Cavs still have options. Like you said, the the, the three options. You know, the nuclear option. You know, blow it all the way up. Um, you know, uh, trade Kyrie or you know, force them to make it work. I mean, whatever whatever happens has definitely been entertaining, and it will continue to be. Yeah, I mean, let's uh, like you said, let's get past it. What what do you say? How many days over under? Uh, eighteen days. Is he gone by 18 days? I think I would be gone first thing tomorrow morning if it was up to me. So yeah, <laughs> I say immediately. I literally, I, I, I have a Kyrie Irving alert, you know, Google alert. I mean, on everything I got going, I got Alexi searching <laughs> every day when I wake up in the morning. Has Kyrie been traded yet? So. Um, one other real quick thing about that press conference. It was real weird that Dan Gilbert had to point out Kobe Altman had a single mother. I didn't know what that had to do with his credentials being a GM or what, what he was trying to do with that. That was just a weird thing to me. That whole press conference was a little weird. <laughs> real weird. That was real weird. And Kobe Altman touting that he signed a former MVP on his first day. It's like, man, just ease your brakes, brother. Just ease your brakes. <laughs> Kyrie out of here, that, That's the press conference where you puff your chest out. Uh, but – Let's get to the most exciting thing going on in Cleveland, not the drama. Well, drama of a different kind, especially when you put the hit by the pitch god in the end for the end of the game, and that's Brandon Geyer. Uh, gets that run in. Yanimal played a little Brandon Geyer, to, uh, took a pitch. Um, but the Indians keep the streak going by any means necessary. Jake, how excited for you for the tribe to get rolling? Yeah, I mean, uh, here we are. We were talking about it last week. How important it is to get going on a streak and get this starting pitching rolling? And oh, that pocket it has see the light of day because we we literally deep six them. It was no point to put that out there. So What's that? I said that podcast is never going to probably hear the light of day or be heard oh, okay. because we deep six the shit out of Indians. There's no point in putting that out there. We both I didn't deep six it. I didn't. Ah, oh, man, we were we were laying into them, man. <laughs> but your boy Bauer. Seems to have, uh, no, ba- Bauer had a great outing. Bauer had yeah. a great outing. Yeah, so Bauer had a great outing. I think job. the most exciting thing, though, Jake, we talk about pitching, and I'm not going to glance over that. We're going to get to Bauer because that was amazing performance. Um, Danny Salazar, even yeah. more. I mean, like, it's all coming together at the right time. Yeah, I mean, you get Danny back, and, uh, I mean, he hasn't pitched well in almost an entire major league season from the uh, end of the first half last year till uh, just now he's been pretty much terrible and you couldn't figure it out because the velocity was there for the most part. He spent some time on the DL. Um, but it's, you know, now he's back with the same velocity and he's getting guys out. And, uh, you know, again, it all comes back to being able to locate and then being able to work off of your fastball. And that's what he's doing. That's what Bauer was able to do the other day. And, uh, if, if Salazar can get back to the, where he was, uh, at the All-Star break last year, you've got three top-end pitchers, and, you know, trade deadline is uh, tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Let's see. Maybe they go out and they get one more to add a little bit of depth to this bull- or to this uh, starting staff. Yeah, we uh, they've been going with the six-man rotation, and uh, we're going to get to the trade deadline about some of the stuff that's happening, what, you know, Indians possibly at least. Oh, excuse me. Well, some of the Indians' possibilities that are out there, but uh, I got one quick idea that just came to me, Jake. How about wherever Danny Salazar went, whatever he did, can we send Kyrie Irving there? Maybe he gets right, too? Yeah, I think it might be too late for Kyrie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, no, definitely excited. Okay, so Trevor Bauer comes out, and, I mean, literally, he's fanning guys, but 
you talk about the placement, like watching that game, the command that he had, and he actually, for the first time in a long time, Jake, looked like he was enjoying himself a little bit out there. Not a lot. You know, you know, he still had the constipated look now and then, but he was striking some of those guys out, man. The guy, literally, you could see he was feeling it. And I don't know how you get him into that zone. or Like, that's the biggest thing to me is how can't the Indians find a way to shorten that whole process that he has to go through to ever get to that Trevor Bauer? I think we saw it a little bit last year when he was out there pitching with a bloody finger. You know, this guy, when he's – when the the moment is big, he gets really focused and he gets really tough. And he's out there giving it every bit of what he's got and grinding it out there. When he's not engaged, that's when he just kind of starts, you know, messing around with his off-speed stuff too much, not doing the things that he needs to do to focus in on every pitch. Um, you know, when he gets base runners on, uh, you know, giving up one run, not giving up just one run, but giving up four runs in an inning by trying to make the perfect pitch instead of inducing like a ground ball or a fly ball uh, that might score a run. So I think that it's a situation where he might be better the bigger the moment gets. Um, We'll have to see, obviously, but in what I've seen from him, when he's out there and he's grinding and he's tenacious like a bulldog, um, he's really, really good. Yeah, I, I wonder, though. That's a big risk to put him in a big spot and hope that he shows up in the big lights. Um, you know, like I will say this, though. I never question his effort. I never question that he wants to be that guy. Like I'd never find that. The guy just ends up being so terrible and it's so – damn frustrating because you see a performance like that and you're like okay can you give me the trevor bauer uh between that and maybe you know dial back uh three or four notches not all the way off the shelf so that that's where i think the criticism and where you you know and that that's where i think his value comes in if you could trade him or would be would would want to trade him which i don't think the indians want to but uh, if it was me, I would have got that guy out of here, as we've said many times before, as I've said many times before, three years ago. Well, we'll, we'll get lots of good looks at him down the stretch in critical situations because uh, as much as the 10-game win streak has been nice, we've added zero to our lead in the American League Central. Uh, the Royals are playing really well. Actually, we just added they one They finally game last lost night. last night that, yeah, weird, lost, right. that weird game. Actually, let's talk about that real quick on a side note. They lost that game to the Red Sox. What the hell's going on up in Boston? This is not, I mean, I know it's with an Ohio bias, but this whole thing with David Price, then Pedroia claiming that he's the leader, he's been there the whole time. These guys are winning. What the hell's the problem up there? I mean, have you been following that at all? Not much, but I know one thing. They're not winning anything until they don't have David Price on their team anymore. Um, talk about Bauer being a mental midget. Uh, you know, David Price to me is, um, you know, he, he's all flash. He's regular season. He's pretty great, and recently he's had his injury problems, but he doesn't show up in the playoffs. And uh, if you've got your number one most uh, highest-paid player you know, on your staff, and he can't get the job done for you in the playoffs, what good is he? Well, get the job done. They're talking about him having Tommy Johns now, and possibly that will be when he would be able to come back, be almost close to the end of that contract. So basically Boston paid that guy to uh, have a baseball fantasy camp. 
I mean, that's nope. basically well, what it comes down to. <laughs> you know don't, I mean? for, like, uh, don't forget uh, about uh, Panda. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he paid Pablo Sandoval for, for uh, a baseball camp as well. Yeah, now they're printing money up there in Boston. Um, real quick, you mentioned the Indians not gaining any ground. The one thing that I saw, I saw a stat that made me feel good, though, Jake. So last year they were 59-42 and 42 around this point with a four-game lead, four-and-a-half-game lead. Um, they're 56, maybe 57 now, as people listen to this podcast, 57 and 45, and they're up to maybe three. Um, that's not that far off, you know, from where they were last year. So as much as maybe because we're uber-focused on the Indians, not much as last year because it came out of – not came out of nowhere, but it was a surprise and fun ride. This year they're not as far off as we think. It just feels like that a little bit more. No, I mean, they've just been kind of hanging around, and they've been doing enough to stay in first place, and the American League Central isn't a very strong division. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing the stuff that we haven't seen this year. Lindor is hitting like 400 during this streak. Um, you know, you got Guy Santana, again, another guy who's, hit, who's been hitting in the 230s all season. He's hitting in the four, uh, 400 range again. So, I mean – yeah, it's it's about bats and starting pitching, and we're getting clutch hits and hitting the ball well, and we're getting good starting pitching. Uh, you, you better win these games. Uh, August is a daunting month. After this White Sox game today, we start off in Boston. So um, this team needs to be geared up and ready to go, and uh, it seems like they've uh, they've found their stride a little bit, and let's just keep this lineup as hot as possible. Still concerned about Jason Kipnis. Um, haven't heard word one about when he could be back. And, well, he's uh, starting his AAA assignment, actually. So Is he? Okay, to, good. Yeah, yeah. He's starting his AAA assignment. Lonnie was running Friday night doing sprints um, with that calf injury. He's supposed to start running bases and then get a rehab assignment some sometime this week. Um, so he'll probably stay back in Cleveland and then, you know, keep working out and probably not make that Boston trip out like that. I don't want to, I don't want to speculate on that, but you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Both those guys yeah, are sure. looking like they're on the men um, probably two weeks. I mean, Kipnis will be back before Lonnie, but I think Lonnie's the one you really need back because if the Indians bats cool off at all, I think Lonnie comes back and it was just about running. It's not like the guy's losing anything on that eye and that bat. No, he's had a great season and you know, I've, this is going back two years, and when they pulled him off of the third base, they said that's going to free him up to be able to be the player that he wants to be. They were forcing him into a third baseman, and, you know, you've spent all that time struggling with your defense. It's going to affect your offense as well, and they put him in more of a natural position in the outfield, and he's just thrived since then. But uh, how about uh, the young gun, our, our leadoff hitter? I think we oh, need to Bradley keep Zimmer. Bradley Zimmer, Good. man. Oh. Yeah. Why not have this guy as our leadoff against lefties and righties, I say? I, I mean, this guy can do no wrong. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something, man. He made a play, I think it's a week ago now, though. That that Getting that first base, did we, I think we talked about it in the last one, but, you know, missing that tag and getting that first base, you know, um, that bunt he laid down the other day, if Mankato doesn't make that play, that's a – I mean, Mankato was, like, just crazy on his infield defense the other night. But, you know, like um, – you know, uh, this series against the Whites, against the Indians. But uh, Zimmer is doing everything you want out of that leadoff spot. And then also, too, the guy the guy is actually making pitchers work, too. So he, it's not like he does like to go for the first pitch swing, you know, but um, like swing away on the first pitch. But a lot of times he's getting deep in count. So I, 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 I haven't seen a rookie come up and have that much poise in a box in a long time. 
Yeah, that's one of the things that makes him and is going to make him a great ball player, and they've talked about it, is his baseball IQ. Um, you know, he's. I'd love to know his average uh, when he's seen a pitcher for the third time in the night uh, because his, his, his ability to process what the pitcher is actually trying to do, and a lot of hitters have great talent, but they don't understand how pitchers are pitching to them, and they don't make adjustments not only at bat from a bat but pitch to pitch. Uh, trying to think ahead. Yeah, there you go. Um, but, you know, I, I just feel like that's a big, big advantage at the top of your lineup. A guy that's going to work, a guy that, uh, you know, you get him more at bats, he's going to be uh, a more effective hitter against that pitcher. Yeah, he's like playing a chess match out there, man, like setting yeah. the pitcher up for later on in the game. And it's just amazing, man. It's amazing. And I think um, that's got to be contagious. Um, within the clubhouse and guys watching him at bats. And it, it's got to help, too, I mean, um, a little bit to have, uh, uh, you know, guys, you know, say, hey, man, whatever you're doing is working, keep going, that positive reinforcement, too, because you see the team just rallies around him as well, man. It's a good thing. It's a real good story. Um, similar yeah, to Tyler Naquin, you know, but he can actually hit a fastball, high fastball. Right. No, I mean, some guys, they hit mistakes. Other guys, they – take mistakes and they slap them into right field for a basic definitely excited let's get to these uh the trade deadline talk um a lot a lot of movement out there yankees just picked up uh jamie garcia from the twins uh the orioles in a shocking move (laughs) go and get this (laughs) go and get jeremy nicholson from the phillies um and uh, the 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 mets get howie kendrick from the phillies and pick up aj AJ Ramos. Nobody knows what those teams are doing, but what is going uh, the on? Guy, the guys that are still out there, Sonny Gray, who got scratched from a start, so we know he's moving somewhere. We just don't know where yet. And the Rangers have uh, said you Darvish is, you know, out there for the taking. I mean, um, the one rumor I did see that has some credibility linked to the Indians with them possibly looking at uh, left-hander Justin Wilson from the Tigers. Um, what do you What are you seeing out there? What do you like? What do you think that the Indians do? Well, the one guy that didn't get scratched today that I thought was interesting is Justin Verlander. He's going to pitch uh, today, maybe his final start in a Tigers uniform. We'll have to see. Uh, It's interesting to me that you, Darvish, has kept so many, uh, I guess, contenders and big-time name clubs on his no-trade list. Uh, So the Rangers are going to have a hard time moving him. Uh, You know, I I don't know how much – Big moves we're going to see. Uh, the Major League Baseball deadline can be funny sometimes when you don't expect anything. A lot of big stuff happens and vice versa. So uh, it, I think the Indians at this point, uh, they still could use uh, a matchup lefty out of the bullpen. I think they still could use depth in their starting pitching, if not a guy that you could put at the top of the – or towards the top of the starting staff. Uh, and you could always add some some versatility to the lineup, but now that you got Geyer back and Austin Jackson has played the way he has, um, you know maybe you bring in a guy like Rajay Davis as we've talked about throughout the year, bring him back. But uh, there's not a lot that I think they end up doing with their lineup unless they go out and they make a move for a catcher. Uh, but I, again, I don't see that either because of how important a catcher is to the starting pitchers. Do you upset that apple cart by uh, making the switch at catcher? Yeah, and you got Mejia in the pipeline at some point, even if we look down the road to next season. Unless um, you I trade mentioned him the, to Sonny Gray. Unless yeah, you well, trade him, yeah. yeah. Um, 
I mentioned Justin Wilson just because we know Boone Logan. You talk about that matchup lefty um, is injured. So that was the, that was kind of the reason that that was out there floating. Um, you know, I, I'm all for getting Rajay Davis back on this team. Man. I don't know. That that home run woke up the little baseball fan in me from long, long times ago. Like, I, So, I mean, it just – I just – you know, I don't even care if it's beyond next season, but just for this last push, I think it would be important to have him because, I mean, probably only Bradley Zimmer is hitting the bases the way Rajay Davis, you know, has that tenacity. Uh, tenacity. So, um, no disrespect to the other Indians. I mean, Jose runs too, but – um, you know, it's just one of those things. I think it would just be a feel-good uh, story for the Indians. Um, but, yeah, man, that, and it, the other big thing, you talk about the MLB trade deadline is a little bit different. The trades are never over. That's the one thing always cracks me up. Well, you know, yeah. MLB Network and ESPN try to make a big deal. Oh, the MLB trade deadline, you know. Um, but then next thing you know, two weeks later, people are still getting moved left and right. So uh, well, MLB yeah, definitely yeah. always has a lot of movement possibilities. Yeah, so you got so this trade deadline is the non-waiver de- deadline. So this is the only time where you can trade players without having to run them through waivers, essentially. Um, gotcha. So after today, what you have to do is you have to put a player out on waivers, and if all 31 teams pass on that player, picking up his contract, whatever it might be, then you can go ahead and trade that player. But if you put him on waivers and somebody uh, puts a claim on that player, then you can either pull him back and keep him on your team, or you can let that team take that player. So that's kind of how that works out uh, in Major League Baseball and why there's all these post-trade deadline trades uh, in August. Well, I think the Indians are in a good position now. Um, it was one of the big questions that we had. You didn't know what Danny Salazar was going to bring back. So to see him come back the way he is has to, you know, like has to have the Indians feeling good if they don't want to overextend to make a big move. Um what you're saying, what you're kind of like, uh, what you're kind of like, you know, predicting that they probably won't. Um, also, too, though, to have Trevor Bauer have a good start. As much as I want to trade the guy, you know, in baseball sense, in any other time, just looking in a capsule right now and the the run that you're looking to October, um, that's also encouraging. So, you know, to see him, you know, have a great start like that, you know, go eight innings strong. And the Indians really needed that, too. That So you, you talk about for him to show up in that moment, um, I wouldn't risk my ball club on it. But, hey, you know, I can understand the Indians having that type of optimism with those two guys looking like they're on the uptake. So if the Indians are a little more conservative here uh, come tomorrow. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, you want to get – you don't want to peak too early is the old adage, right? So uh, the Indians right now seem to be hitting their stride, and uh, you just want to continue this momentum heading into – the final push for the regular season and the playoff seeding and whatever, um, and then right into the playoffs, uh, keep the magic going. So it's been a good uh, good little run here over the last few weeks. Definitely excited. As always, Roll Tribe, man. Uh, de- definitely, definitely going to be uh, watching those alerts, though, to see what the Indians do. Um, talking about alerts teams everywhere. Kyrie oh, yeah. alerts, Browns alerts, <laughs> Indians alerts. Well, I'm not going to no. be checking that's pretty funny because I'm not going to be checking for too many Browns alerts, actually. Um, <laughs> Has them on the press conference. As as Tommy Boy said, you know, you can get a good look <laughs> at a piece of meat by sticking your head up a bull's ass. But, you know what I mean? I was out of Browns training camp. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, this, it did smell out there. No, I'm just uh, <laughs> let, let me say this to start out with. The training camp experience, I highly encourage, if you're a Browns fan, you got to get out there. 
it is so much fun. Now, you do got to jump through some hoops, sign up for tickets, and, you know, uh, give your first kidney away. Um, no, they don't have a donor program going. But um, you do got to go through a lot to get tickets just to get in there. And they have metal detectors, so everything's safe and sound. But it looks like the Madden football training center out there because the Browns have the piping now all the way around the fences. Um, the whole facility has been redone with a whole glass enclosure. They got stands so you can actually be comfortable out there. Tons of stuff for kids to do. They can run the 40, play miniature golf. Um, you can actually even, we talk about the dog pound, and this was the coolest thing to me. The first day that I was there, they had 12 dogs adopted from the local uh, animal shelter. So you can literally adopt a dog, a puppy or a dog at Brown's training camp and really be about the dog pound. I, I thought that was just a very cool tie-in. So the Browns are doing all the stuff on the side. When we talk about what's going on in the field, Jake, I got a lot of concerns, and that's what I'm going to get to. But it is exciting to have football back, um, and it feels good because the first game's coming. We got the Hall of Fame game coming. Yeah, next week. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, training camps are back open. Preseason games are starting. Uh, this will be the last weekend without football for now until January. So uh, let's get through this last uh, little push. The Indians have made it nice for us, uh, being able to keep us entertained. And uh, now some NFL and college football is back and uh, couldn't be happier. All right, let's start with the rookies. Um, just some quick observations. David Njoku can't catch a football. Um, this has been a problem since he was at Miami. It was one of the reasons that I didn't think he was worthy of a first-round pick. I don't know how you fix that uh, <laughs> as a football player. Um, a lot of times it's concentration. Um, but uh, we know he's a real young guy. Maybe by year five he's, you know, able to catch a football and the Browns are able to move forward. Um, Miles Garrett is healthy. He looked good out there. But the guy that looks bigger than life on that defense is Larry, uh, Larry Okunjobi. And um, he stood out to me more than Miles Garrett did in the drills that I saw. Um, and also, you know who looks good, man, is Danny Shelton. Now, I don't know how that's going to translate because his position leads to him getting stuffed up, but hopefully he can stuff the run. Um, my concern is um, with this defense, even with the secondary, uh, it's good to see Joe Hayden back healthy. He was out there grabbing up on receivers. Um, uh, you know who looked real good was Brian Body Calhoun. But my concern is that this offense, which I'm going to get to here in a second, Jake, is going to be out there a lot. I love Greg Williams. You can literally hear Greg Williams screaming coming down Beach Street even before you got into training camp. That's how hilarious it is. Um, but that defense, all the pressure is going to be on that defense. And when I say that, because I got some real concerns with this offense, which I'm going to go to next. But that's what I'm really worried about. And that was one of the observations. Defense looked good out there in training camp, but uh, I worry about how much that load they can take. Yeah, they're going to have to have definitely a big load to carry with uh, this offense. But, uh, you know, you're right. I, I'm excited about the defense. What we built on from last year and what we're adding to this team through the draft um, this season, I, I think that it's going to be a really exciting, fast, after-the-quarterback defense. And if we can get to the quarterback um, and make him uncomfortable, that's going to be a big, big thing going forward for us because we haven't been able to do that for a very, very long time. And uh, if you can't do that in the NFL, uh, then you're not going to stop many drives, uh, as you, uh, as we've seen here since 1999. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that Greg Williams excites me. 
and uh, the, now that we're putting together a young defense that potentially could be, you know, one of the best in the AFC, if not AFC Central for sure, for the next five years, if uh, if it's brought brought along the right way, I really think that the talent amassed is there, and one more draft is going to make and make this defense really dangerous. But the offense, yeah, now, hmm. yeah, no, no, it definitely does. Um, I'm really concerned about the defense because I just think they're going to spend too much time on the field, and hopefully, right. Hugh Jackson is about his word the way he said he learned from his mistakes from last season. Um, because we're going to get to the quarterback problem. I think the Browns are going to have a real problem moving the ball through the air. Now, if they do focus on the run, that will take time and let the defense, you know, rest up and be able to be a, that explosive defense that we're all hoping for under Greg Williams. Um, but unless they give the Crow the ball, he needs reps. The one thing I saw, Crow looks good. The Crow hit somebody. I don't know what player he hit it with, but he hit a guy. And this is the first day of training camp. He hit this guy with one of the nastiest stiff arms. I think I got it on video, too. I'm going to try to share it and cue that up. I was not good with the video out there, but um, we got some uh, <laughs> takes. But um, we got a couple good, you know, uh, things that I can share. But, you know, um, I think the Crow really, with him be having a crow, uh, contract year, the Rosenhaus brothers are out there that day of training camp um, trying to gin up some uh, money for their guy. Uh, I think that's going to be the big key, and I think that will be the complement to the defense being like so they're not on the field with the Browns going three and out, three and out, three and out. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to run the ball to eat up some of this clock because the only way you're going to win games is lower-scoring games. Um, Now, the issue is the defense is probably going to know that too. So, you know, when you get uh, those extra guys in the box, is the quarterback going to be able to make the play to loosen this team up? Because if if I'm playing against this team, I'm daring the quarterback to beat me. Um, you're not going to run the ball on me, and if you could beat me through the air, good luck. And that's where the flaw is. And that's what, you know, I came away with, um, you know, I had a great time out there because, you know, I'm a Browns fan. I love it. But I just felt so dejected because I know they're not going to be able to move the ball through the air. The Cody Kessler, so them splitting reps right now with three quarterbacks to me is a is a huge mistake. Cody Kessler will never be the guy. He should not be the guy. He is now just trying to find a way to push the ball down the field. But as much as we, you know, uh, sometimes uh, get on guys for having too much of a gunslinger mentality, I think Cody Kessler is the opposite. He's too conservative and too concerned even at his own words, about turnovers and not turning the ball over. You cannot play like that, especially when you got a team like this that needs that big play from your position. Um, I, I talked about Ninjoku with the drops. Um, I got to see Deshaun Kaiser. No question he has some playmaking ability, but he's so raw. I mean, his footwork's not there. He's holding on to the ball too long. You'll see that in one of the clips that I can share. Um, he's just got way too long to go. I mean, maybe halfway through the season he'll be ready. But that's what I go to back again, splitting the time with the reps. He doesn't get that full attention that he would need if you were going to have him progress uh, to that level faster. And then I come to Brock Osweiler. Now, people might like, like it, you know what I mean? But the guy's making $16 million. He's the biggest guy out there, and he actually has the experience. The experience might be bad on a lot of occasions that we remember, but with the roster the way it is currently with the Browns, he should be the guy. And I saw it out there. He made a nice out pass. I mean, he just he looked like a guy that had been there before, and he should. He's an NFL quarterback, you know. So 
I don't understand what Hugh Jackson is doing in that regard with the quarterbacks where it should be Osweiler, Kaiser, given those two guys, you've got the experience, you've got the young rookie. This experiment with Kessler should have been over a long time ago. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, D. Um, with Brock Osweiler, let's not forget, I mean, he had the, the awful, awful time in Houston. But the year he was a free agent, the Denver Broncos had offered him, and we've talked about this, a multi-million dollar deal that was comparable to the Texans deal, but not quite there. So the team that had him and had the experience with him still thought enough of him that they wanted to keep him. So there's got to be something there, you know, and maybe it was just a toxic situation with him and Bill O'Brien and a fresh change of scenery and a guy like Hugh Jackson uh, might be exactly what the guy needs. Um, It's, it's interesting to me that you're you're going to continue to try to force Cody Kessler down your throat just because he was a higher draft pick than he probably should have been, and it's probably because of the head coach. So is the head coach now forcing him uh, in a situation that's going to hurt the team? Because, like you said, reps are everything, especially when you're talking about quarterbacks that have never played with these wide receivers. Um, so which I'm gonna get I, to I in a second. Right. That's a whole another. That's a whole another problem. But um, it, yeah, and these wide receivers don't have a lot of experience and aren't exactly uh, uh, Michael Irvin and uh, Jerry Rice out there. Well, they're no highest paid player probably coming in the league. Odell Beckham Jr.'s um, making one hand catches. Here, here's the real issue with that. So it seems that the Browns, and this is just me going off of the speculation and rumors that have been said. So this is not fact, but. So it seems that somebody else other than Hugh Jackson wanted to take Cody Kessler. And it seems that somebody else also wanted to, and this is I'm talking to when I say somebody else, somebody within the Browns front office wanted the second-round pick and thought they could move Brock Osweiler after that. Now, he hasn't been moved as of yet. And if you have him here on the roster, go ahead and put him out there. When you're out of training camp, you can see this guy actually knows how to get the line up. His footwork looks good. I mean, he – the pass that I saw, he, he, he has the power. He just He's the biggest guy out there, easily. Um, and I just don't understand how you are, like, trying to – like, I think this is a detriment for Hugh Jackson right now, and this is a big moment for him because you've got to get this team off. We've talked about it before just with some of our, you know, like wrap-up shows with the Browns from last season. Well, the most important thing is to getting this team off to a good start, and I think Brock Osweiler gives the Browns that best opportunity. Yeah, especially when you can consider the schedule coming out of the gate. I mean, the NFL did us no favors. We've got to open up with Pittsburgh. I mean, nothing like easing into the season. Now, the other part of Hugh Jackson's comments that I got a real problem with is where he said he's going with offense. And the face that – so it's like the – I got to – and I I like Hugh Jackson. I don't even have to put that qualifier out there. Fuck that. The problem I got with Hugh Jackson right now is – there seems to be some bad judgment on his part going on that I think is going to pay, you know, uh, terrible dividends when the season comes. So we got the quarterback thing of splitting the reps, wasting time with Cody Kessler. Now we get to the receivers. Still thinking Corey Coleman is going to be a number one receiver is just almost to this point getting laughable to me. It's it's delusional and it's just wrong and it's flawed. They have no other receivers. Kenny Britt, you know, is basically – getting paid. He is capable of catching the ball. There's no doubt, but you worry about him off the field and he got injured, you know, the second day of training camp. So you worry about that factor. Um, And then this statement that I heard Hugh Jackson say in regards to using Duke Johnson in the slot makes no sense. 
He is literally has always had durability issues. To put him in a position to go across the middle, you know, with his with his history, he won't be playing when it comes to even probably making the trip to London, if that's the case, if the Browns use him that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I could agree with that as well. I mean, I don't know what you do with Duke other than something in the past catching field. Uh, and you can't really give him the ball a bunch of times uh, outside of rub, wrapping him in bubble wrap. Um, you just got to throw him out there until he gets hurt, I guess. Um, but, I mean, when he's healthy, we've seen he's a he's an asset on the offense. Uh, but I, I just don't know how you do that and protect him at the same time. I think they used him well last season, even though he still got a little nicked up now and then. But the screen passes, you know, he spells Corey Cole. I mean, spells Corey Cole. He spells Isaiah Crowell, you know, so he does get maybe 10 or 12, you know, carries out of the backfield a game. But to put him in the slot where he's going to get, you know, um, I mean, just cross-body checked by somebody at some point, um, just uh, that really worries me. Another thing that worries me when I talk about Hugh Jackson and what this offense looks towards is now, Jake, uh, one of your favorite um, devices that was made favorite, made famous by the Auburn product, Cadillac Williams, they're talking Wildcat with Julius Peppers. Oh, geez. I mean, we're going backwards in in NFL trending. Um, I I don't know. I guess maybe um, Wildcat seems to have been figured out by the NFL. Uh, I don't think you can just get him back there and let him take a snap and run up the middle and expect to have success. You better get a little bit more creative than that. But do I think the guy's a weapon and has speed and uh, when he gets in the open field can make guys miss? Yeah. So if you want to use him on offense, that's fine. But like I said, if you think you're just going to put him in the backfield, snap him the ball, and let him run up the middle, and he's going to go to, for a touchdown for 40 yards, you probably are delusional at that point. I think one of the things that happened to him up north last year was he got a little worn down because he was overutilized at all these different positions. If he's going to play defense and be a playmaker on defense, start with that. Like the this is what Andrew I'm saying. Kicks. Just, yeah. If, yeah, that, that would be enough to me. That would be enough to me. But mm-hmm. even that is too much. You know what I mean? Because like, I think the mm-hmm. Browns should have still went out to somebody else to return a lucky whitehead maybe um, that could have returned kicks. Why that is still a glaring need on this team just boggles my mind. But, you know, I'm not trying to point uh, paint a bleak picture of the Browns. I'm telling you, these are the points where I have a real contention, and it's Hugh Jackson's judgment that's coming into place. And these are his ideas. It's not like this is something coming out of nowhere. You don't have to scale your team to that way to, like, try just because Peppers is, you know, can do all these different things and they want to make him a Swiss Army knife doesn't mean you got to start him out that way. Um, this is a guy that literally needs to find one thing and do it well. And so that's what – and he also is durable. So he also fits in that, you know, Duke Johnson, because if I remember correctly, he was hiding out in a press box, you know, when Michigan was playing – when the team up north was playing in a bowl game against Florida. So and he didn't want to be on camera because he had was a, a scratch start at the beginning of the game and it kind of looked like Harbaugh was trying to play mind games with McElvain. So I, I just don't understand why the it's, I can see the Browns setting themselves up for these little failures that will lead to another bad season because when you have all these different things start you know building up, um, it, it really becomes you know it, it goes bad if you're losing. Like these things start to you know the snowball going down the hill and makes an avalanche of negativity. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. 
Um, one good thing to come out of there, uh, and Jake, I know one of the things you wanted to talk about was the CTE uh, article, the CTE study that the New York Times, you know, did an article on. Uh, we worry about when we talk about that, you know, um, definitely worried about the, the, the all the NFL players that, you know, it seems there was 110 out of 112 um, that show signs of, you know, CTE. Um, and Joe Thomas has spoke about that. I'm really concerned about Joe Thomas with that, but he seems in the be in good spirits and even joking about it. I mean, are we at this point where a football player has got to be a football player when it comes to guys like Joe Thomas? Because um, other guys are retiring, and we saw that with Rob Ninkovich, that announcement just recently uh, from the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't blame them. Uh, you know, 110 or 111 NFL players' brains tested, 110 of them showed signs for CTE. Uh, if you haven't seen the video of Brian Price running through a plate glass door, um, you know, check it out because it's sobering. Um, you know, the, the a guy who's uh, married to a track and field star, has a, a kid, has another one on the way, just normal family man, um, all of a sudden on his birthday shows up uh, for a massage and ends up in a hardware store knocking down uh, display cases, acting irrationally. When he comes outside, the police are trying to calm him down. Thank God. I mean, I don't know how he didn't end up getting killed because of this after charging police going through a plate glass window. And then after it's all said and done, police think he's on drugs. There's nothing. He's not drunk. He's not high. There's nothing. And he doesn't remember at all it happening. You know, and it's, it's scary as hell what we're seeing now. Um, the NFL has buried this for too long. Um, you know, we see guys like uh, Hall of Fame center for the Steelers, Mike Webster, dying on a park bench, um, you know, and, and, and players in the past being uh, put aside as uh, just crazy. And it's, it's a situation where the NFL is in big trouble. This is big. I mean, the lawsuits were there to begin with, but now, um, you know, you're hiding something that was very prevalent. It wasn't something that was, uh, a rare occurrence. I mean, we're talking 110 out of 111 cases in this situation. If you would have just put the facts out there and said, these are the dangers, you're a grown man, make a grown man decision. If you don't want to play, that's fine. But at least you know what the consequences are. And if you think being paid millions of dollars to take a chance is worth it, then put your name on the line. But at least you knew going into it. And uh, now we're in a situation where it's scramble mode. And, uh, you know, if, if I'm a parent, I'm not letting my son or my son play football. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of parents out there that are going to think twice. Uh, it, it's, you know, more prevalent, it seems to be with linemen because every play, they are in a car accident, essentially. You know, I mean, I think the wide receivers and the skill players, um, and the corners and the safeties, they maybe have some big hits, but at least they're not hit every play. You're seeing these linemen just be devastated uh, when they become 50 years old, and it's, uh, it's sad, and the NFL should have just uh, put it out there, and, and we wouldn't be in this situation where they're at right now. Think about how they celebrated uh, the big hit not 20 years ago. I mean, the, the VHS cassettes with the biggest hits of the season – and all that sort of stuff while they knew this was going on. Well, I mean, they make too much money. I mean, I echo everything you said. I just think they make too much money not to – it's just pure greed at this point that you would not 
set aside better care for your players, disclose the facts, and then also to, you know, try to do something about the problem post haste. You can always, you know, <laughs> take some of those billions and actually, you know, start a whole institute where players can go and get help, get treatment, get studied, and actually come up with some solutions to the problem. But they have chose to do none of those things, and I exactly. think that's where they're culpable at the worst. Yeah, I mean, it's a sad situation, and uh, it's not going to get any better right now, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of how, I mean, I don't want to make that correlation. Um, I don't want to paint, you know, get back to the Browns and the season. Um, Training camp is awesome. It's a fun experience. Um, Maybe things change a little bit, but right now, um, I am not hopeful for the Cleveland Browns to have a – I didn't think they were going to have, a, you know, a huge season, Jake, but um, I'm just – I am really, really down on the Browns, man. And uh, thank goodness for Ohio State football because that's the football I'm really going to be concerning myself with. Yep. Uh, I can't wait for Buckeye football. Um, we're primed for another big season. And uh, if they can get everything situated in the secondary and – uh, I think we'll be just in pretty damn good shape uh, and head into maybe our another playoff and hopefully another championship. Yeah, um, we're going to close the show this week with a little beef. But uh, real quick, Jake, uh, John Jones is once again the light heavyweight champion of the world. Um, unbelievable performance. Uh, he's the baddest man on the planet in and outside the octagon. Yeah, I mean, it, you think about all the time that he's missed and how much greater he could have been. I mean, the guy is just a, a machine out there. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're 40 pounds heavier than him or not, evidently. Uh, he, 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 he hit Cormier with that, uh, with that uh, leg into the face, and it was all over. And it'll be interesting now, too, to calling out Brock Lesnar and I guess Lesnar uh, said this morning, be careful what you wish for. So we could be uh, on a path to see Brock Lesnar and John Jones get into a octagon once again and then both get suspended afterwards. Yeah, I, I, uh, I uh, predict that will happen next July because that gives Brock the six months that he needs to get over the USADA, um, you know, suspension. So I think that will be the UFC's big, you know, July fight week, you know, uh, event, um, which, you know, lets them build it up and then lets him serve that suspension. Um, shout out to Chris Cyborg, finally becoming a UFC champion. Um, it's been a long time coming, being one of the big sites, but you talk about doping and you wonder if this might be something that, you know, hopefully doesn't haunt her career after she becomes a champion. Um, and then uh, shout out to Robbie Lawler, man. Um, just a pretty good UFC 214 card. Wanted to mention that. Uh, one other thing, man. We talk about Las Vegas and LeBron James being out there, you know, playing with Eric Bledsoe on Westbrook and all those guys. Um, LeVar Ball was out there with his AAU team. His son LaMelo took on Zion Williamson at the Adidas Summit, and it was a huge thing. But even LeBron James couldn't get in. Maybe he showed up late, but the guy didn't have the juice, Jake, to get in to see these guys. <laughs> Big baller brand, man. You better be on the VIP list, but they're not going to let you in. Um, yeah, what I mean – you know, you think about all the big-time high school uh, basketball players and, um, and when you've seen them on ESPN, it all kind of started with LeBron. Uh, so it's kind of ironic that LeBron was shut out of a high school TV game. Um, yeah, it was cool to see. I mean, Zion got the big dunk. Uh, LaMelo was making shots. So uh, hopefully we get to see them uh, go battle for at least a, 
a year in the same conference, maybe. I, I really like the Zion Williamson kid, um, just the, the size and, the you know, athleticism. Um, I'm not too high on the middle child of LeVar Ball. Um, I think he's got a long way to go playing basketball. He could start with stop basket hanging. Um, that would be one thing that I would suggest, but, um, you know, probably not going to listen to me. He'll be listening to his dad, who will be telling female re- referees to stay in their lane. But even better, Jake. Have you heard that we're gonna we're gonna cut we're gonna leave this show with the Shaq diss? Have you heard the Shaq diss to one Lavar Ball? I have not. All right. Well, you can hear it on the replay with an Ohio bias, uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure you guys will be discussing stuff like that too on ScoreOnAir.com. What you guys got coming up here? Oh man, got uh, lots of good programming. We're starting off with a couple football shows coming back now. Uh, Pro Football Blitz Thursdays. Uh, they're six to eight on Thursdays. Um, you know, football season's right around the corner, and that's what we're excited for. We'll be having a college football show, uh, and then also one dedicated to the Buckeyes, of course. So uh, check out scoreonair.com for all the latest, and uh, make sure you're listening for new programming every two hours, uh, always uh, different topics and different voices coming at you. Yeah, that's show 175. So close you can taste it. Uh, definitely excited about uh, excited about the Indians. Lord knows, man. This streak has been uh, great and uh, want them to keep it going. Hopefully they can expand that lead out a little bit. And then, of course, uh, getting Kyrie Irving out of town. Excited about that. At least I am. I know Jake wants to make it work, but, I mean, hey, any resolution or some type of resolution will be good. But we got football coming and so that will definitely take our minds off of all that drama which nobody really wants to be concerned with um i think you made some real good points jake and i thought it was very poignant to talk about the cte uh the the lack of the nfl addressing the cte you know study um and there's still the fact that they still skip that and it is definitely i mean when roger goodell will stop counting his money and swimming through it like scrooge mcduck and held a press conference on that should be interesting yeah, absolutely. I feel like uh, this is just, you know, we've seen the tip of the iceberg and now we're starting to lower the water around it a little bit. And uh, we're going to see more and more of this come out. And uh, it, it's uh, it, it's a sad. It's sad. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's sad for everybody involved, including the fans who, you know, we, we're seeing it with Bernie Kosar right here, you know, where they're, uh, having issues with speech and, uh, you know, whether that's drugs or alcohol, but even that can go to the the problems with CTE in a way that you're trying to deal with it. So um, there's, there's a lot of layers to this onion. Absolutely. So definitely. Um, but we're still going to try to push through and look forward to football season. Um, you know, it's, it's very concerning, but um, it's sports and you have to deal with the good, with the bad, hopefully the NFL Hopefully, at some point, the NFL will take this seriously and address it. And I think the more people talk about it, hopefully there's more studies that come out. And, um, you know, nothing but the utmost respect to those former players who don't hide their problems and actually are trying to shed light on it, donating their brains to science, whether it's, you know, post-haste or, you know, getting into studies right now to those 110 um, football players that, you know, had the courage to go in there and get studied. Um, it, it's not an easy thing. You know, we, we choose to hide those kind of problems that we have, thinking that we'll be ridiculed and thought less of. So um, thank them for doing that because the NFL really does need to be held to task on that. Um, we will be talking at you next time with, you know, all the sports you care about, all the stuff that you want to hear. 
uh, an update on more Kyrie drama, and of course, more training camp news. Because I think I'm gonna get back out there. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be at you next time. I don't know. I'm gonna use all of the or something. Just gotta stop talking for a second. Uh, this is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake, our college football primer. I am D, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown. The Sea Boss football is back. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is not our college football preview, but this is just a little primer. A lot of things have happened in the college football offseason. We're going to talk about some of the big stories from each conference. Um, of course, coaches having to resign, Ole Miss. But uh, we'll get into a little bit of everything and, of course, talk Buckeye football and how excited we are to see the boys back in Columbus get to work. Uh, Jake, um, the media days were fast and furious. It's always fun to see the coaches, you know, tout their conferences and their programs. But uh, I think we got to begin with the ACC and everybody from Diabo Sweeney, who is the national champion, the reigning national champion, um, and the Clemson Tigers, but Jim McElvain and everybody in ACC trying to tell us that's the best conference, um, along with Jimbo Fisher, of course, and Florida State, which we'll find out real soon about them in their opening weekend. But um, I thought the ACC popped their collar a little too much on media day. Yeah, I think the ACC is a, a really good conference. You know, Florida State at the top, Clemson, even Louisville with uh, Jackson coming back. Um, Miami's getting better with Rick. Uh, Virginia Tech seems to be a stable situation after the Beamer leaving. Um, and then you got kind of the mid-tier guys that have stabilized themselves as contenders for top 25 in Pittsburgh and North Carolina. Uh, even NC State uh, has gotten better. So I, I think there's something to the ACC being a very good conference, but uh, I don't think that they are by any means the overwhelming best conference in the country. I mean, let's back, hit the brakes a little bit. Yeah, I think it's. I think you know, um, for those who may be new to our podcast, we love college football, and we have been talking about the ACC as one of the conferences we enjoy watching. I think you know, maybe uh, right up there, of course, with the uh, Big Ten, and not maybe every Big Ten season, but in the SEC and everywhere else. But um, we enjoy the ACC football and all those things, especially with Pat Narduzzi there. You mentioned Pitt, um, but the one that I think is going to be the biggest thing for them, I think now they can not just be two top-heavy teams with Clemson and Florida State. You mentioned Petrino and having Lamar Jackson return at Louisville. They're an exciting team to watch, and we know that they're always going to score a lot of points. But with Mark Ritt bringing a book in to maybe giving them a for-sure fourth team and the recruiting job he's doing down there in Miami, I mean, we're not going to be talking about the art of sandwiches at media days. We're going to be talking a lot more in the future when it comes to Miami football. Yeah, and, you know, my opinion is it's always good when the Blue Bloods are up there. You know, it's it's fun when Miami's up there. It's, you know, great when Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan and these guys, you know, I, it's, every once in a while to see a Louisville or somebody pop up is, you know, it's different, it's fun, okay, great. But, you know, you want the you want the big boys at the top and, you know, Miami say what it, it's it's still one of the big boys in my mind when they're good. Yeah, and I just want to give Mark Rick a little – I bashed this guy for years, years when he was at Georgia. So I just want to give this guy his props for doing a good job with Miami. And I just think it's a perfect fit, um, and that rhymes with Mark Rick. So uh, keep going down there, Coach. Um, you got you, you actually got a fan in Ohio now, you know, after you, you know, destroyed that Georgia program. Um, we talk about Georgia. We talk about Kirby Smart. You talk about the Blue Bloods. Uh, you talk about the Blue Bloods. 
the SEC media day. Of course, it all revolved around Nick Saban and his anger and angst to not only change college football and possibly the playoff, but also to talking about how he's got his players hungry yet again coming off that loss to Clemson. Yeah, well, uh, they still have Mercer on the schedule on November 18th. So <laughs> what are we talking about here, Nick Saban? You can yell and scream about how we shouldn't be playing one double-A teams, but when, you start, when you're still scheduling Mercer the week before Auburn, and the week after uh, an SEC uh, conference game at the end of the season, you know, I, I just it, – whatever. Yeah, I think football would be better if the 1AA's didn't play the, the 1A teams. Uh, I think you would get uh, a, a little bit more of a situation where you could struggle in the early season, maybe lose one game uh, early and then another game and be able to still make a playoff. But – um, he's the last person that needs to be talking about this in my mind. Well, let's get to the big news, Jake. The shocking, shocking resignation of Ole Miss football coach Hugh Freeze. And um, maybe even more shocking is that Houston Nutt literally dropped that lawsuit the day that Hugh Freeze was taking the podium at SEC Media Day. And then, you know, soon thereafter, his resignation came. Uh, you know the allegations um, that he misdialed, uh, uh, allegedly, an escort service numerous times from his university cell phone. Um, beyond the moral problems and whatnot, I just think this is a death blow to not only Ole Miss football but to the SEC because this was the one team that could beat Alabama when we just talked to the football parts of it. Um, yeah, can we first take a second here to acknowledge the greatness of Rick Pitino um, to be able to withstand not only not just a phone call to a, a prostitute or a, an escort service, but an entire program of escorts uh, doing what they need to do to get recruits. Uh, let's also talk about him mopping the floor with a waitress and still being the coach at Louisville. So uh, I mean I, I, the the one the one I will say you make a good point because the escorts over a duration of time for recruiting and this is just a guy that we don't even know if he ever met up with her and it wasn't <laughs> before a recruiter or anything it seems that it was for his personal use so yeah it seems like there's a huge range of what the penalty is for um, NCAA coaches yeah so uh, I think I think we need to uh, after we get past the Patino part. Um, yeah, I guess. You know, we knew something was going on down at Ole Miss. Ole Miss doesn't suck for all these years, and then all of a sudden is the only team that can beat Alabama. Are we kidding ourselves? There's definitely something that was going on. And and this is just probably, again, another tip of the iceberg situation is what was going on down there and how they were able to land these recruits. So uh, anytime you've got a program like that, you, you, you know there's something going on. You're going to find out something later on down the line. Look at what Baylor's going through right now. Do we think Baylor was going to suck in the Big 12 for 45 years, and then all of a sudden our brows is going to come in and make them a national contender every year? Well, that, well, let's not get to, we're going to get to Baylor. We're going to get to Baylor. We're going to talk about the Big 12 and Baylor. Jeez, don't worry. Oh, man. Um, I don't let's know let's go back to this old situation real quick. Let's go back to this old situation real quick. You're, you're spot on. <laughs> You're spot on with that because um, when they signed Robert Kendiche, the number one defensive end in the country, and I was like, Robert Kendiche is going to Ole Miss? 
that was when my, you know, rabbit, <laughs> that's when my, you know, antenna went up. Like, there's something going on down there. And what then they were just signing about? recruit after recruit. Um, and then, you know, even at the draft last, uh, two years ago, the Larry Tunsil video and then the, you know, subsequent, you know, um, conversation, text messages that were released, him talking about, you know, getting money from it. There's a lot more. And that's the thing that kind of sucks for Hugh Freeze. The program might be dirty all the way around, and that's what he should really be blamed for, not for the moral failings of, you know, uh, illegally soliciting a uh, prostitute. You know what I mean? So, well, um, they brought they brought Capone down for tax evasion. So there you go. Uh, there, there is that. Um, but it doesn't even look anything else in the SEC. I mean, Jim McElvain had to dodge questions of not being a guy doing uh, alleged things to a shark on a boat. That was like SEC <laughs> media day, um, but. That that is one of the funniest stories. The fact that he is so ticked off about this meme that has been going around that it's clearly not him, and everybody just keeps banging on it, saying "Yeah, it's you, yeah, it's you," and he's taking it. It's like a a, a thirteen year old getting teased. I don't know why you even give it, you know, any power, but that's what he's been doing. So, and the dress of that media day was funny to me, like you said. Um, I think about the rest of the SEC. I think Auburn could be sneaky this year. Um, they, they've seen real. They seem to be in a real good place. Um, and then uh, Texas A&M. Always the same question: What will we see from Kevin Sumlin and the guys at Aggies? Uh, it was good to see Christian Kirk, uh, the big time receiver there, um, out in front for media day. So, um, but you worry about what they do on the second half of the season, and we'll get to that in our college football preview. But uh, just some; those are some just some of the quick thoughts from SEC media days. Yeah, I think, I mean, you're talking about Auburn, you're, uh, Stidham and how he's able to assimilate to Auburn and help them move the ball offensively. Uh, LSU, you know, you got the same issues at quarterback. So uh, until until they get that together, uh, Alabama definitely has the edge in the SEC for me. Florida should be an interesting team, and uh, it'll be interesting what Georgia's able to do in the second year. Yeah, Malik Zaire down there, the Notre Dame transfer. Um, they're yeah. still having some type of quarterback competition. I don't know what that means. But uh, McIlvain, like you said, he's more worried about a meme than, you know, focusing on who his quarterback is. So just move the ball, McIlvain. Um, let's get to it. You brought it up. Matt Rule, Baylor, he was the media day darling for the Big 12. A lot of other things going on in the Big 12. But the quote that he used, that Baylor is not their past to me, Jake, was just, I mean, I like Matt Rule. I like what he did with Temple. Him taking this job was a huge head-scratcher. You talked about Stidham transferring out to Auburn. The whole situation makes no sense, and they're not their past. That's exactly who they are. You have to own what Art Bryles did with that program if you're ever going to move forward, in my opinion. Well, unfortunately for Roll, I just said it. You know, they are their past, and, and that's in multiple ways. Not only do they have to own the Art Bryles stuff, but they're still freaking Baylor. Okay, you're not going to win at Baylor unless you can it, it, sustainably win at Baylor unless you cheat, period. There's, there's no other way to win. So good luck to him. He could put together maybe a, a nice 9-2 and two season and then get used to being 7-5. and five. Yeah, well, As they say in the, in the uh, accounting business, the check cash is all the same, I guess. Um, and I, I just thought Matt Rule had a lot more to him. Um, I don't know. I don't want to disparage the guy that much, but I just, it's a real head scratcher of a move to take that job down there, man. So, um, as much of a head scratcher as PJ Fleck. Yeah. Well, I mean, once again, we're going to get to PJ Fleck too, when we talk about the big 10, um, 
one thing that's not a head scratcher is the Kansas State Wildcats actually saying when Bill Snyder is done, Bill Snyder will be done. Um, I think that's a great vote of confidence. I hope it's not one of these fake vote of confidence that you get sometimes from an athletic director. But um, you, you, big fan of everything, purple and silver up there and man happiness. Uh, I just thought that was a good thing to come out of media day for the Kansas State Wildcats and the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, I love Bill Snyder and I love the Kansas State program. They always have the most fundamentally sound program, it seems, every year. They pay attention to detail. Their special teams are awesome. Um, you know, I felt like that statement, though, was a little morbid considering Bill Snyder's age and uh, what <laughs> where they're at with this team because he's about done. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, years left for him to be a head coach in the NCAA. So uh, I just hope for the best for him and uh, continued success and uh, for as long as he can sustain it uh, before he has to ride off into the sunset. Well, I think the great thing about letting him, you know, um, leave his own way is that's a program that has done things the right way. He has been an icon of what college athletics is supposed to be, not like some of his predecessors who were forced out if we think about Joe Paterno um, you know, even Art Browse in the short term in his own conference. So I just think that's the reason that, you know, it might be a little bit morbid of a statement, but it was one of the things that I just liked hearing. Um and, you know, uh I just you know, like you said, fun they and, and that man and that, that, that Kansas State team finds a way to put on one great performance a year, whether it's their bowl game or in a major upset in that conference. Um and always plays spoiler to somebody. So you talk about that nine and two, it always is uh the Kansas State catching somebody, you know. That And that's a great example of what these Baylor teams should be looking to be. You know, Kansas State's not going to compete for a national title every year. Um, but if you can find consistency through the details and finding those guys that aren't four stars uh, that have been overlooked and stuff like that, uh, Kansas State should be the model for these mid-tier big conference teams to take a look at and try to find the the formula for uh, sustained, sustained, sustained success. Yeah, you talk about trying to sustain some success or even building it. Uh, Tom Herman's got a huge job. Uh, we know how big Texas is, um, but that Texas Longhorns program, uh, he's trying to bring some uh, consistency there and uh, start building blocks the right way. One of the things that was telling to me he talked about um, in the media day and then doing media you know, for the Longhorns was, that none, I think it was only three players. He asked everybody in the room at their, one of their first meetings to raise their hand if they had ever been on a winning program, and it was only three players that were able to raise their hands that were like some transfers and some other guys. I mean, that's crazy to think about how bad that Texas program had dropped off. So he's got a huge job to build up uh, with that Longhorns team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's the guy for the job, though. I, we kind of said similar things when he took the Houston job. Um, and uh, he turned that thing around in a real big hurry. So uh, with the assets and with the uh, the, the different uh, things that he has available to build that program with compared to what he had in Houston, uh, I expect uh, a turnaround here within, you know, I expect him to have a really good season this year and then be able to get back into that uh, elite level within the next year or two once he gets a couple of recruiting classes in there. You talk about resources. Um, you know Fast and Furious and how the cars have the ground effect lights underneath? Yeah. 
Have you seen the Texas locker room? They literally have those ground effect light underneath their lockers. Each player has that kind of light underneath his locker. It's crazy um, what they got going on down there in Texas, uh, in Austin. Yeah, that that's you know that's the stuff I'm talking about. You know, it's how can you attract the 18 year old to your campus and um, you know the great ones like Urban and uh, Nick Saban. They they know what it takes. Well, you talk about a great a great one. Uh, I think there's no one greater, at least with a greater head of hair right now, than the one Mike Gundy and the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I don't know what to expect from the Cowboys this year, but I do know one thing. That mullet is glorious, Jake, and it will be on the sideline, and that will get enough for me to watch those football games. Yeah, you thought after – I mean, it's been years since he, he went off with the I'm a man, I'm 40, and uh, that mullet was good back then. Um, yeah, I definitely love the flow. He doesn't care. Um, and uh, this team's going to score a shit ton of points. Uh, I don't know. They're going to probably give up a lot of points, but uh, they're going to be very entertaining team to watch. And Big 12 football, it's unlike any other football in the country. And uh, it's uh, it's like a pinball game going back and forth with those teams. So um, maybe that's the reason why they haven't uh, had any success really in the in the championship series. And the one team that you thought might have been poised to break out with their quarterback returning with one of the best offensive lines in the country was the Oklahoma Sooners. But the shocking news that happened, and we haven't addressed it on our podcast, Jay, was the retirement of Bob Stoops. Um, I, I thought, I mean, there's no question he's done enough in his career, but it was just one of those things. Uh, maybe thought he wanted one more shot with the Sooners having that big matchup with the Buckeyes that night in Columbus. Yeah, man, was that timing weird, huh? Um, almost uh, like you wonder if something must have happened in between uh, the end of the last season and when he when he left. But um, Lincoln Kennedy has uh, his his uh, work cut out for him. Lincoln um, I'm sorry, yeah, Lincoln Kennedy. Uh, that would be an interesting head coach. Um, yeah, so um, Lincoln Riley definitely has his uh, his work cut out for him, having to have his second game at uh, Columbus in the horseshoe and uh, really being only able to prepare by seeing, I think it's UTEP. Yeah, UTEP. Um, the miners are not going to give them the test that they need <laughs> to, to, to simulate anything that they're going to see in week two that night in Columbus. So um, they got some talent coming back, that's for sure, but they also lost a lot too. Uh, Oklahoma will be a decent team in the Big 12, but I, I, again, I don't see any team in the Big 12 uh, contending for a national title this year. And I think that's the, you know, um, hats off to Bob Stoops. He's still going to live in Norman, which, you know, his, his you know he wants to see his kids graduate from high school and stuff like that. So he's around, um, you know. So it's not like the guy, you know, up and moved, you know, somewhere else. Um, he just wanted to retire and give up the football coaching duty. So um, definitely, you know, it was shocking. But, hey, man, I'm always happy for people who, you know, go out on their own terms. Um, yeah, and, the, and a Youngstown guy, an Ohio guy. Um, oh, of course. You know, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. Maybe after his kids uh, graduate, he ends up being back and the head coach at Cardinal Mooney. Oh, there you go. Um, he just was back in town, too, for a big bocce tournament at the NVR. Um, the one big thing from the Big 12 that I wanted to get to, Jake, which has always been a head-scratcher, not even a head-scratcher, but just a, a WTF moment, is they still choose not 
to do a championship game. You talk about them not getting into the college play- football playoff or not having a team be in that, you know, um, in, in that, you know, championship race. That's the biggest hurdle is not even their team's uh, talent or capabilities or the way they finish seasons. I think it's just the fact that they're not up to snuff with the other conferences. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's the big key. I, I think that they don't go out of conference very often to test themselves uh, against the big boys. And I mean, yeah, obviously you have Ohio state here with Oklahoma, but throughout the conference and the history of it, I don't see that as being something that they can hang their hat on. And um, if you don't have a championship in that one last game to send a message and you've got a bunch of two lost teams that don't play any defense, well, guess what? You're not going to make the college football playoff. And that's where we're at with the big 12 right now. Well, we talk about 12. Let's talk about the Pac-12. Um, big news. The Trojans are back on the block. Everybody's excited out in California because USC football is back on the map, of course, with Sam Darnold's huge performance in the Rose Bowl last year to win that game over, you know, the team from Western, from central Pennsylvania. Um, it, it, it seems that everybody's picking them to be the cream of the crop and overlooking Chris Peterson and the Washington Huskies, man. And uh, we know Rich Rod's on the hot seat out there. And, oh, yeah, uh, I got I to gotta find it. And uh, we know, um, shit, David. Um, um, Shaw? Yeah. David Shaw is taking shots at the SEC because it doesn't make sense for him to have a satellite campus where kids can't even get into the prestigious Stanford and their academic requirements. Well, you know, lay in the bed you made. I mean, David, uh, you decided to coach at Stanford. You knew very well what their academic requirements were, same as if you took the job at Notre Dame. So, uh, you play with the hand you're dealt there, and you know if you're going to complain about it, then find another job somewhere where you could do what you want to do. Um, but I think you're right. I think we're heading on a collision course uh, with Washington and USC. I think they're clearly the top two teams in this conference. Uh, Stanford's going to be up there again, but uh, I think they lost a little bit too much, especially with McCaffrey gone now. Uh, Oregon, I think, is going to be – returning a little bit to what they were or moving back towards that way. Uh, UCLA will be right up there as well with Rosen, but you wonder after they lost uh, all that they've lost uh, this off season. And Utah always is, uh, if you take them lightly, you're going to get bit by uh, the Utes. So uh, the Pac-12, again, a lot like the Big 12, uh, not a ton of defense going on there, but uh, Washington is that one team that plays some defense. USC should be better this year. And uh, we'll see with uh, Darnold and Rosen um, and uh, uh, who's the Washington quarterback. He's really good, too. I can't remember his name now. I can't remember his fucking name either. Browning, Jake Browning. Yep. There you go. So with Darnold and Rosen and uh, even at Washington with Jake Browning, uh, you've got elite quarterbacks. And uh, we'll see who I think ultimately has the best defense is going to come out of that conference. Hearing some rumblings, uh, the people out in Colorado are excited about what the Buffs can do. Um, they might be upsetting some people. But um, I will say this. The one thing that I thought, and you'll like this, Jake, uh, we don't expect much from the Oregon Ducks with Tagger taking over there, but he did make the announcement that they're going to slow down on the uniform combinations. Well, I mean, 
I, I guess that's a good thing for my eyeballs. I don't know how good it is for recruiting. It seems like that was one of the things that they could hang their hat on and really attract uh, the young kids to come to their program because of some of those uniform combinations. But uh, I, I guess uh, it's something that uh, you just want to have some consistency with your look, uh, I suppose. And if you want to be a program that's taken seriously, you better not have 122 different uniform combinations, I guess. Yeah, this is not his quote. This is my quote. Uh, I think they're going to start worrying about football and not fashion in Eugene. Um, let's get to the Big Ten. We're excited about Ohio State football, but, um, you know, some big news, you know, around the Big Ten. Um, you brought him up earlier, P.J. Fleck, man. Uh, he, he's got the trademark, rode a boat, is in Minneapolis in the greater Minneapolis area with the University of Minnesota and the Golden Gophers. And uh, he's even got a TV show coming on ESPN, UJ. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. It'll be, can he turn around the Minnesota Golden Gophers, uh, a team that's never been one of the powers in the Big Ten? Well, maybe back in like the 30s and the 40s they were, um, but not recently. And uh, recruiting to Minneapolis, isn't going to be easy as well. So uh, PJ Flex got his work cut out for him. You would have thought that he'd have a better opportunity if he would have stuck around Western Michigan for one more year, the way he had that program going. But uh, now he's got to take on Ohio State and Wisconsin and Penn State and Michigan every year. Uh, well, maybe not every year because they're in different divisions. But uh, at least he landed in that Big Ten West division where he may have a chance uh, on on occasions to win that conference uh, division. So he's a good coach. I just – I don't know if you have what you need to succeed in the Big Ten at the University of Minnesota. Well, you talk about coaches. James Franklin's out here touting the team from Central Pennsylvania having the best offense in the Big Ten. Um, and that they're poised for success. I think it's time to, you know, as you said, pump the brakes on that one. And then the one team that's always quiet, their coach talks quietly, but he's a bigger guy's stature, and I think they're going to play big. I, I think I expect big things from the Wisconsin Badgers this year. Yeah, I'm really impressed with what Paul Chris has been able to do with uh, Bucky. And, uh, again, they play in that West, West division where they should probably win it every year when you're talking about Northwestern and – uh, Minnesota, Iowa, uh, and Nebraska. I mean, they're all teams that are they're good, but they're yeah, good. So uh, I think Wisconsin has that opportunity uh, every year with their tradition and what they do uh, up in Madison um, to contend for a Big Ten title um, on a consistent basis. And the biggest thing they got this year, they don't have to play the Buckeyes in the regular season. So um, that's a that's a huge thing for their ability to challenge for that Big Ten championship. Um, the other the other news, let's just get to it, man. You know, this guy from the team up north just continues to confound me with his antics. Hairball shows up at media day. This is a, as they say, Jake, a coat and tie affair. This guy shows up with the old Jordan sweatshirt on. I mean, is he trolling all of us, or is this just hairball being hairball? I think he's going to do whatever the hell he wants to do because he's not long for Michigan. Uh, he's going to put his act out there as long as they can tolerate it uh, or until he gets a multimillion-dollar deal to go back to the NFL. So um, I think Harbaugh is playing by Harbaugh's rules until uh, someone tells him he can't play that way anymore. Now let's get some, some football things now. 
I rewatched the OT game. I mean, the double overtime win in Columbus last year by the Buckeyes. Um, but we know that game could have went a different way. And that could have been a program changer for Hairball. Like, that could have been the thing that, you know, put that program really on the map besides all the hype that they got right now. Um, we know how many seniors they lose and everything else. But the one news that he made also without, you know, wearing a suit like everybody else did was he's got an open quarterback uh uh, open quarterback competition going on up there. So Spate is not the guy right now. How is that even possible? Because he's Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess uh, you answered that with the first question. My bad. Yeah, you know I, mean? <laughs> I mean, he's. Uh, I don't know what his psychology is with this. Uh, he's got his own theory, I'm sure, and why this is a good idea. Uh, I don't think anybody thinks that uh, anybody but Wilton Spate will be behind center game one. Uh, when they take on Florida, but um, you know, maybe maybe he's a, he pulls a surprise. Uh, you never know with that guy. And uh, you're right, that could have been a program changer. But unfortunately for him, they lose again. I think it's been over 2,100 days now, um, or around there anyway. And uh, now they lose a lot of players, um, a lot of seniors on that team, and. Uh, you know, that was the year to get us and get things turned around because uh, this year you're going to get, I think, a much better version of the Buckeyes. Oh, yeah. Um, Buckeyes are favored. Um, one more thing on those guys up there, just because it was just really bothering me. They're still on this whole thing about the spot. Like I said, I just happened to be ch- flipping through the channels and caught the game right as the fourth quarter was ending. Um, JT Barrett clearly, you know what I mean? All you needed was a couple inches. The guy got the first down, but they're still talking about it. And I don't understand. I can understand if you're using it as motivation, but that's how you lead off the press conference. And the fact that this guy was calling the official during the off season multiple times. I mean, you've already answered the question, what is Harbaugh doing? <laughs> he's going to do what he's going to do. But I just, this is just, I mean, it's, it's bordering on lunacy, man, lunacy. No, it is. He's he's a lunatic. I think that is a good way to put it. He is a certified lunatic, and nobody knows what this guy is going to do, and that's why he wants total autonomy to do what he wants to do, and uh, some NFL team is going to give it to him here, and Michigan has given it to him for the time being, and uh, he, he's a, he has a way, though. I mean, he gets players to play. He's a great motivator. Uh, he's a pretty good uh, strategist. So uh, a little off uh, is one thing. Complete lunatic is what you're dealing with. Um, We know what happened in that game with the Ohio State Buckeyes. I bring that one up and not the game that they didn't score in in the college football playoff because that's not even worth mentioning. Um, What What game? Exactly. Um, One of the problems was they missed a field goal at the end of that game. Well, I will say this for Ohio State. As much as we're excited about JT Barrett being back and a lot of other people being back, we're still big on special teams. God bless the vest um, for teaching us that. But Jake, Sean Nuremberger, somehow, someway, this is his senior year, after being injured all last year, is back kicking for the Buckeyes, and they have the guy that they recruited, the uh, 6-2 product, Blair Heibel. Um, But Sean Nuremberger will be kicking for the Bucks. Oh, Blake. Blake, 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 yeah. Blake Heibel. Blake Heibel. Um, but Sean Nuremberger is going to be kicking for the Bucks, man, and I think that brings a lot of stability to what the Bucks can do um, with uh, Kevin Wilson's offense probably getting in position if they don't, you know, always punch the ball into the end zone. Yeah, excited for Kevin Wilson, uh, Wilson's offense, um, you know, coming from Indiana, 
uh, getting Indiana in week one. I think we're going to see a lot of it early, so uh, that'll be good. But uh, you hope you don't have to make a ton of field goals, and it's a lot of extra points. Uh, having Nurberger back is uh, definitely comforting when you've got a freshman kicker. I wouldn't be shocked, though, if that freshman kicker opens up as the starting kicker and they give him a shot uh, with knowing that they've got uh, Sean in the back. Uh, in case he does start struggling, you could bring in someone with some steadying experience behind him. So uh, that might be a battle to actually keep an eye on as camp goes on further and further. But, yeah, you're going to need someone to make uh, field goals and extra points because uh, last year was uh, it, it was infuriating at times uh, watching our special teams and kick game. You just said you just you, that's the point. You need somebody to make kicks and you need somebody to catch the damn ball. Um, I think those are going to be the two biggest keys for the Buckeyes. Uh, not worried about the defensive line and not even worried about the all the youth that's coming into that secondary. Um, I forgot Greg Schiano's coach of the defense. I don't know where I've been. I guess the Kyrie drama's got me going stupid. But you know what I mean. I just, I just was you know seeing all the coverage of the Buckeyes in camp and whatnot. Saw Schiano barking at some guys. Got all fired up, man. So. Like you said, um, hopefully they're not kicking field goals there, you know. Um, but if they do, it's good to know that Nuremberg is back there. Um, very excited. Like I said, they're, they're favored to win the Big Ten. But we know what we're really concerned about, Jake, is them winning the whole thing. And I think they got a very good shot this season. Yeah, and I think it goes back to something you just said there. I, I'd argue that this is maybe the best coaching staff that Urban Meyer has had in his tenure. And that's saying quite a bit when you're talking about Tom Herman and you know, the, as much as maligned as Luke Fickle was, uh, how he was able to be that uh, rock and stability on the defensive coaching staff for all these years. Um, I, I think that there's clear roles now. Um, I think everybody knows their job. I think between Chiano and Larry Johnson running the defense, uh, we're in great shape. I think the recruiting's as good as it has ever been. Uh, so I, I think that as you go through a season – um, again, the coaching is going to be key with these guys when you have this much talent and as much youth as the Buckeyes have. So uh, hopefully the change with Kevin Wilson is what we all expect it to be. And uh, JT Barrett's put in a situation where he's able to do what we thought he would be doing last year, and that's contend for a Heisman Trophy and a national championship. Now, if you're not an Ohio State fan, we can understand you're not that excited, but you can be excited for this. College football is back in less than 30 days, and the best thing for Buckeye fans, Jake, as you know, is that Ohio State, as you mentioned, plays that Thursday, so we don't have to wait like we did in years past for the end of that weekend. We get to kick it off and go nuts that Thursday night. Yep, and it's a road game, and you'll uh, get to see Kevin Wilson go against his old team, so there's a lot of interesting storylines that uh, go along with uh, this opening kick, uh, kick for the Buckeyes, so Looking forward to it. It's awesome the football's back. Uh, I said it, on, I think, on the other podcast, but uh, this is the last week we have to go until January where we don't have some sort of football. Uh, we got football coming back with the Hall of Fame game uh, next week, and, uh, and then it's on. All right. You guys got a lot of coverage that you guys are going to be doing on the score and there, and uh, a lot of the hats that you wear, Jake. Uh, drop some of that knowledge on the folks. Yeah, program director over at uh, the Ohio Media School for scoreonair.com, the uh, student-run sports radio station, and, you know, literally the new generation of sports talk radio. And uh, we try to keep it uh, very focused to the stuff that you guys want, whether that's uh, the Clippers in baseball, whether you're talking about the Columbus crew or the Blue Jackets or football 
or pro wrestling, uh, the score's got you covered. So make sure you're tuning in, scoreonair.com, for all the latest in all the sports you care about. All right. We wanted to give you a college football primer because we're chomping at the bit, um, all these hype videos and things like that. And one thing, Jake, these recruiting videos are getting better and better. I even give it up to the guy over uh, who decided to go to central Pennsylvania. The production value is unbelievable. It was on Bleacher Report. He, like, you know, had a pool party going, and then the drone, like, you know, zoomed out, and then it was the logo of the Nittany Lion in the pool. And then Jeremy Ruckert made his announcement video doing the old Mario Kart go-karts, you know, saying that he was going to Ohio State with that Ohio State helmet, taking the checkered flag. So these recruiting videos even getting me hyped, man. But it was nothing like the real thing, and that definitely is coming. Yeah, I can't wait for August, August 31st and the Buckeyes to be back on the field on their way to hopefully what is another national championship. All right, stay locked to withanohiobias.com. We'll have our college football preview, which is always one of the best things that we do. Huge breakdown of team by team and even more in-depth in conferences. We just wanted to hit you with some of the news that we thought, some of the newsworthy things um, from each one. But we're going to be talking about why each team wins and who will be our predictions of who will be winning each conference and also who will be uh who will be making their way to the college football playoff. We will talk at you next time. Thanks for listening to With an Ohio Bias. I had a brain for it. I got to go get some water, man. Um, I'm dying. Yeah, we, you got to give us a little bit of time to get through our Phil Steele magazine. Yeah, no, I definitely um, – <laughs> this guy's been doing it, but I'm really excited for college football, man. I think oh, man, here. me too. You know what? I used to be such a diehard NFL fan and just uh, just – couldn't wait for Sundays to get there. And college was great. But as I get older, man, it's flipping 100%. Like, I think I still like NFL, but I get so pumped up for college football Saturdays. Well, I think it's because, like, even though, like, we love Ohio State, like, you just love pure football. And, like, those guys, like, I don't know. Like, it's just a different uh, – it's the enthusiasm that you can root for a good game in college football without it happening to be the end of the world, like where it feels like the NFL is so much finality week to week. You know what I mean? Because if a team goes 0-4, if they're like the Cardinals or something like that, then they're out of it. You know what I mean? Then you're like, damn, these fucking Cardinals suck. You're like, why am I watching the, uh, the uh, NFC, you know, West? Or You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that mm-hmm. makes sense with the, the way that it has the, the impact on the playoffs more. Um with college there's, football, you're excited for the first half of the season to see how the new kids fit in and which team emerges, and there's still that excitement of the up and down to it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, and I think the whole college scene too, where you have the bands and the uh, the students and sections and uh, all the tra- different traditions that you have and the different rivalry games and that sort of stuff goes a long way too. The NFL has become, I don't know, it, it feels clinical if that makes any sense at all uh just very uh i don't know what the right word is i think this doesn't have that this just doesn't have that uh pizzazz that i thought it used to well you got guys like odell beckham jr too trying to be the highest paid player that takes a lot out of it for me too the money takes a lot out of it yeah as much as i think college football players should be paid i think that has a lot to do with it too yeah. Oh shit. You want to hit the Spielman? Yeah, Spielman. Yeah, I was just yeah. about to say that. <laughs> sure. Um, the other big news at Ohio State. This wasn't from Media Day, but it was just as big. Um, Chris Spielman um, has, you know, filed a lawsuit against the Ohio State University with some other 
former players about the use of their likeness when it comes to the appearance uh, when it comes to the appearance along with corporate logos. And Jake, um, I think this was a thing a long time coming. And Chris Billman's not out for the money. Um, he has put forth a statement after this story broke that he will donate the money back to the Ohio State University Athletic Department. This is just about righting it wrong. Yeah, and you know, I would imagine if uh, you know Chris Billman's sponsoring one car company and another car company that Ohio State's in bed with starts using Chris Billman's picture on a, a banner, that's going to be an issue. Um, I get using uh, their 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 images and likeness for non-commercial things uh, in regards to the university, but you know you don't sign away your complete likeness when you sign that letter of intent. In my mind, uh, there's got to be a line somewhere of what you can use the likeness and images for. And when you get into the commercial aspect of it, then you're really talking about guys' livelihoods to an extent. So I, I think they have a leg to stand on for sure. Um, Ohio State has a lot of money, and we'll see how far that goes and what they're able to do. But, uh, yeah, and, and Chris Billman, he he's the face of it, but uh, let's keep in mind there are a lot of Ohio State players involved in this, uh, including Archie Griffin. So uh, it's, it's not just about Chris Spielman, um, it, it, I, but I, I think that they – they're making a valid point, and this is going to go a lot further than Ohio State. I mean, if this, this is going to next go to the Big Ten and then the NCAA, and uh, you know, you, you look at what happened with the EA Sports lawsuit uh, and uh, players' likenesses that uh, Ed O'Bannon took to court years ago. Um, I, I think that bodes well for what they're trying to do, and um, you know, you, they're just doing what they think is right for their for their brand and uh, and what they should be able to get as far as uh, money for it. Yeah, and this is something we'll definitely be monitoring. You mentioned Arthur Griffin, who is the current president of the Ohio State Alumni Association. Um, I think this is going to be that watershed moment where it could end up ending, uh, it could end up leading to players getting paid, but also to it could end up leading to former players being able to make more money off their likenesses when it comes to the university that they played for. Also to you know, you can't have a university. I'm not saying Ohio State, the Ohio State University would. No, I'm not saying the Ohio State University would do this, but you can't have them putting, you know, a player next to a Pornhub logo just because the university made a corporate partnership with that kind of company right. or something like that, or not to even use that extreme excuse or Coors Light or something like that or a tobacco company. So there's there's a lot that could um, definitely come out of this, and it's something that we'll be monitoring and talking about on with an Ohio bias. All right, man. That's good. Cool. Bye, uh, until the man. next time, man. All right, man. What would you think of UFC? Entertained? I didn't get to see it except for like some of the replays and shit. Man, I fell asleep on the Woodley fight. I didn't. Even, I watched the. I watched the um, John Jones fight this morning, but I literally uh, was trying to watch you. it. I couldn't make it. Um, the Woodley fight was what such time? a sleeper. The fights before that was good though. What time did the does that fight come on the main event? Like two? No, it was. They always get done before two, so like they make it okay. so you can see it at bar. So that fight probably went off at like twelve forty-five. Jeez, that's late on the East Coast. Interesting. But remember, they were in Anaheim, so you know what I mean. Like they they always go for the West Coast. You know what I mean? So and internet. What's the next? What's the next one up? Um, 
215 in September, but the next one that would be big to us or a little bit bigger, like they're trying to work out. Stipe's got some problems with his contract, but he might be fighting Cain Velasquez at UFC 216 in October. So, um, but okay. Uh, the two the two fifteen card is not a good card. This was it's actually this was a big John Jones winning um, just because it gives them a marketable person at the yeah. top. But you don't you don't know what the hell you got in John Jones because this guy's won fucking you know right um, whatever away. laps yeah you know what I mean so um, it's gonna be interesting how that plays out. So. The next big event in fighting will be uh, would be um, Rory. Yeah, um, Mayweather and um, McGregor, huh? Yeah, yeah. Do you, after everything's been said, do you think McGregor stands any better chance now than you thought so before? Hell no. I, <laughs> I, I, this guy has no chance. No chance. <laughs> the more and the more and more I see of him training, the more and more that I know he has no chance. The more and the more. I, I went. Somebody sent me a bunch of Mayweather fights, and so I went back and watched a bunch of clips of uh, Mayweather. I mean Mayweather, McGregor fighting. And the problem is the MMA to boxing. This is 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 the footwork and it's the way that they stand. McGregor just stands too wide open all the time, and to be able to change that um, behavior and that like known like like he's just, it's just too much to change. You know, and without taking a warm up fight. But you can't take a warm-up fight because you lose all the hype if the guy looks terrible in a warm-up fight. So right. it's just a bad situation. Um, but it's a money grab, man. Uh, is it a knockout? What sucks is, no, Mayweather's not knocking anybody out. Uh, so it'll go the distance, you think? It'll go the distance. Or in, in those, I, I, my bet is it ends on controversy, honestly. Something right. controversial no, happens. I, I, I have a gut feeling that, you know, parachute man or yeah, exactly. biting your I'm ear. Not, yeah. It's something yeah, I don't think major. I don't think McGregor does anything dirty or anything like that. I'm just saying something's no. going to happen. Something like, major uh, is going to happen. The wrong kind of water bottle, tape or something on a glove or something crazy <laughs> like that. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I have that gut feeling too. Something that'll maybe set up even a rematch. Exactly. So. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think uh, more people that Start buying into this McGregor, the better off you are if you want to actually take Mayweather. I think right now he's like minus two seventy five, which is a steal in my book. Uh, get him down, get him down under two dollars. Yeah, the problem with McGregor too is that um, you know, I mean, after this, this guy don't need to come back and fight at the UFC. He could jump around for three years and then say, "I'm gonna fight Mayweather again and make another huge payday," and that's his life. So the UFC, yeah. like, you know what I mean, really fucked up by allowing this to happen. Um, even though they're getting some money off the top, it's a short-term gain, I think, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, Dana's staying right by his side to try to make sure, I think, that after this he comes back. I don't think he's coming back. I wonder if they maybe did a side deal where they said, yeah, no, I Dana, said, do Dana this, even said he doesn't think he's coming back already. Wow. So. That's there's nothing to come back for. There's no John real, Jones? There's no, no, he's too small. That's too big All of right. a weight disparity. I mean, that's too big of a weight disparity. Connor fights at 140. John was fighting at 217 last night. That's 100 pounds almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's too... I didn't realize John Jones was that big. Yeah. Um, McGregor does walk around at like 170, 160. That's why. Um, but I think this fight actually is going to be at 155 too, which is interesting. Um or 152 or something like that. It, there's a weight thing with the McGregor, even the McGregor Mayweather thing. So, um, but got it. All right, man. 
All right, man. Until next time. Yep. Late. Later. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.